So we had the first snow of the year last night. Well, first snow for us at least. Yeah, the first snow here in here in Durham. And it was absolutely beautiful. Was it beautiful? Okay, it was cold and it was miserable yeah. and it was incredibly dangerous in terms of slipping. Well, we weren't expecting it, were we? We were not. Suddenly, uh, we just opened the front door and there it was. <laughs> you got to walk across the green to get food. No, uh, that was not necessarily convenient, but it was beautiful. And just in time, really, just in time for us, because we were going to sit down and record this cold open. Well, we were going to do it outside, weren't we? But it's a bit too cold. A bit too cold of an open. So here we are in the lounge with the fire going. Yeah. And it is much more civilized. Yeah, it's oh, much nicer. It's a warm open this time, if you will. But I'm definitely starting to feel much more in that Christmas spirit. Yeah, much more so than in November, I think. Because, so of course, for me, Thanksgiving's at the end of November. So I was pretty much thinking about that right until the very end. Yeah, you move straight from Thanksgiving straight into getting straight ready into for Christmas. Christmas. Yeah. I already have my tree up, I have to admit. I wasted no time. Straight away. You have just a little mini tree, don't you? That's all that can really fit. <laughs> In an ideal world, how big of a Christmas tree would you want? I think you want one of those Christmas trees like at the bottom of your big staircase. <sighs> that goes yeah. up the dream staircase. Up the staircase. That is definitely a, a dream. Yeah. <laughs> I always forget that you should really wear long sleeves and gloves when trying to put up a real Christmas tree. Did you get? I got, yeah. I may have sustained some Christmas-related injuries. Well, that's all in the festive spirit. Everyone gets <laughs> some kind of Christmas injury, don't they? Whether it's falling off a ladder, putting up lights, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, exploding the kitchen when you're trying to deep fry a turkey. Yeah, something happens. <laughs> something always happens. At least my injuries were, were minor. But I'm looking forward to all of the far more pleasant things about Christmas. Yeah. And you know this, but our listeners don't. But I didn't have Christmas growing up. And it was always something I was very jealous of. Because my, my parents are not Christian, and I was not raised Christian. In fact, it was sort of raised to view myself as not Christian. And so the idea of suddenly having Christmas as an adult, because I could make my own decisions, I have a lot of time to make up for. So I get very much into very this. Very much into the spirit. Absolutely. Well, surely you must have noticed. Oh, yeah, of course. How many Christmas markets am I dragging you to this I month? I have lost count. <laughs> yeah, definitely have a full schedule. What's great about doing this podcast is that there are a bunch of people who do these Christmas activities that actually want to talk to us. Yeah. And then we can recommend those things to our listeners. So it's a great give and take relationship, win-win all around, especially me being a Christmas junkie. What's your favorite part of Christmas? I think it has to be coming downstairs on, on Christmas, Christmas morning. morning. Yeah. yeah. Seeing the living room full of sacks of presents. Well, I'll actually get to see that because I'm going to be at your house for Christmas Day. Yeah. So maybe I'll get a little sneak peek of what what it was like for little Owen. <laughs> yeah. It's not quite as exciting now as it was back then. No. The... Christmas is a time for children, yeah. isn't it? But then also maybe recreating a little bit of that nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like nostalgia is what makes Christmas so great, even as an adult. Right? Yeah, I think often a big part of it for adults is remembering their childhood Christmases and, and what that was like. So with that in mind then, maybe the, the theme for this episode could be ghosts of Christmas past, Christmas present and Christmas future. You know, we just watched uh, the Muppets Christmas Carol. So. We did. 
Yes, we're cheesing it up this Christmas. Yeah. Every Christmas thing that we can possibly do. But of course, a Christmas carol is one of the things that created the Christmas we know. Yeah. So the ghost of Christmas past, present and future yeah. would be the theme. So how would everything play into that? Well, we could think about uh, getting some stories from people about their, their yeah. past memories of Christmas. That's a really strong, because, strong thing for a lot of people. Right, because the nostalgia is what makes it so special, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Then talk to some people about how they're celebrating Christmas. Of course, very exciting. This lead yeah. up to Christmas, like this particular Christmas, yeah. is always really joyful. Well, then I think we want to... And like maybe think about how we plan for Christmases in the future yeah. and what it means to look to the future. Yeah. I like it. Welcome, you're listening to Panacea, a podcast for the seasons. I am your host, Sarah Rosen, and here in the study with me is Owen John Lloyd-Jones. So since our cold open this month was really a warm open... We're just going to jump right in. But first, quickly, I want to give a shout out to my new favorite seasonal book. Last month was Autumn, which was a generous gift from you. This month I saw at Waterstones a book called The Little Book of Snow. It's a lovely read for anybody who's interested in a shift from autumn to winter. Sounds great. Our theme this month is Ghosts of Christmas Past, Present and Future. But instead of each of our chapters focusing on just one each of our chapters are going to focus on how three come together to make Christmas spectacular. Chapter 1. Deck the Hall. So just from the title, Owen, can you guess who it was that I interviewed for this first chapter? Well, I don't know. Who is it? I'll let them tell you themselves. Yeah, well, it's Keith and Maggie Bell, and we've lived at Crook Hall for 23 years now. Probably about 18 years ago, we started running a Christmas event, which started off very slowly, and it's it's built into a, a highlight of our year. Christmas is a very exciting time for everybody, particularly us at, at Crook Hall. And it starts from cutting the, the greenery in the garden and bringing it into the house, and spending upwards of two days decorating the whole hall and all the staff help. It's a wonderful time for us. So tell me a little bit more about this Christmas event. We've got all kinds of things going on and what Keith and I have always done is, because this is our home, we've always tried to make it something that we would like to attend or that we'd like to have our children and grandchildren to attend. There's lots of things happening right from the beginning. So the children and their families get welcomed at the entrance and they're given a little pack with all of the activities there, there are all kinds of things for them to do so they can do a treasure hunt around the gardens and as you say Sarah that's one of the things that I, I believe in so strongly that children need to be outside even if the weather's horrible they might only go to a couple of the gardens but if it's a lovely day like today they're going to spend time running around the gardens looking for the clues which of course all have a Christmas theme filling in their treasure hunt and then they get a little reward if they've, if they've managed to do that or even if they haven't managed to do that they get a little reward and then the other thing that we do that's outside is we've got um, a wonderful canopy in 
the woodland, in our little woodland area, and we have a mock snowball fight out there, which is great fun. The little tiny ones enjoy the spectacle of all the pretend snowballs flying around. The older ones really get stuck in. The dads sometimes have to be told to calm it down a bit. They get very excited. <laughs> it's always the adults that are the troublemakers. Do you know what it is? It's always the grown-ups. But it's something, what, what I love about that, and about actually about the whole event, is it's something that the whole family can enjoy together. It's not just a question of the children doing something and the, and the grown-ups watching. It's something for everyone to join in, as much or as little as they want to. Um, you'll have to go and have a look. We've got a great sleigh that someone made for us, so people can have their photographs in the sleigh with Mr Frosty and all of that kind of thing. Inside, we've got a lot of activity inside because, of course, we can't guarantee the weather. So we've got some arts and crafts. The children can make their own little ornaments to go on the tree. They can help the elves to decorate their tree. We've got our naughty and nice list, which they fill in with the elves. And again, that's something for the whole family. So they put themselves on the list, depending whether they're always very, very good. Most of the children are always very, very good or never good. We're going to try (laughs) harder next year. Most of the male grown-ups are at the bottom of the list. <laughs> so, like I said, it's always the adults that yeah, are the trouble. Again, maker. again, so that they do that. And then we have Christmas singing, we have Christmas stories. And obviously, the main event is a visit to see Santa Claus himself. And Father Christmas magically has his very special book and it's got information about each child who visits in the book and so he has a little private chat with each family or each family group about Christmas, lets them know all the things he knows about them, you know, it might be, he might know about any pets that they've got, he might know the name of their teacher and it is magical. And we've also got a couple of events for grown-ups which children would be very welcome to come. It's more aimed at just having the grown-ups get into the Christmas Christmas spirit and remembering Christmases when maybe when they were little. But they still get to visit Santa, mm. don't they? Yes, they do. One of the loveliest things that for me that has happened here at Christmas was at one of the grown-ups evenings and we had an elderly lady and she'd been to see Father Christmas in his Christmas room and she came down and she was a little bit teary and I was like, oh, are you okay? And she said, do you know what? When I was a child, I always longed to visit Father Christmas and I never have and tonight I have. And I just thought that was lovely. So as you mentioned, this is your home Mm. and has been for many years. Do you have any fond memories of Christmases just living here? As a family. Yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah. We do. Not so much the first year we were here. Oh my Lord, the first year we were here, we'd moved in in November. Mm. Our children were small and we'd just moved in, the heating failed. Oh my goodness, it was so cold. I mean, it was minus 18 and we had no heating apart from a coal fire. So it was a a very. It was an authentic, cocoa experience. (laughs) Dickens Christmas. (laughs) A little bit too authentic. Not so much Christmas cheer as Christmas freeze, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It is a lovely house for Christmas. I can imagine. Yeah. The log fires and yeah. all the candles and, you know. It's... In the few times that I've been here, you know, you sort of forget that because, you know, you're dining in this beautiful place and there are lots of people around. You forget that this is someone's home and you're like, wow, yeah. that's one lucky family to yeah. be able to experience this place. We are really lucky. Yeah. But do you know what, Sarah? For me, my biggest joy now is having other people come and share it with us because it's ridiculously big for just two people. 
but it's it's wonderful that so many lovely people come and enjoy it with us. And I, do, I do really like that. Yeah, and it's one of the oldest houses in the county. Yes, you have the oldest staircase. Yeah. And I remember. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's right. I would actually like them. Um, because we're talking about Dickensian Christmas, right? There's nothing more Dickensian Christmas than a good ghost story. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so would you mind telling me if you've had any experiences with this spectral lady on the staircase? Well, I don't believe in ghosts. And while mm. I live here, not going to believe in ghosts. But lots of strange things have happened. Oh, yes, have yes. Yes. Lots of strange things. Well, the one that I particularly remember was there was um, the ghost is meant to haunt on, on it's St. Thomas's Eve, isn't well, it? Well, it's all yeah, but it's... It, she's supposed to make her presence particularly felt at, at this time of year, yeah. isn't she? And it was actually that night that we were lying in bed because our, our bedroom used to be in the exhibition room. We have a burglar alarm here and there was an alarm door right next to our bedroom and um, and I could hear all this scratching and scraping at the door and I was absolutely convinced it was a burglar. So I was ready to make a quick getaway. Leaving Maggie there, <laughs> and then, and, um, and then I started hearing this sort of footsteps across the ceiling. They were walking right across the ceiling, and it, it sounded like footsteps on floorboards. And I knew there were no floorboards up there. And I tried to wake Maggie up, and by the time I w- woke Maggie up and said, "You should hear this," they'd stop completely. It's always the way, isn't it? It mm-hmm. is. It is. It really freaked you out, that it did, though, didn't totally. it? Yeah. yeah. The thing I think that frightened me most was actually one Halloween, and we have great fun here at Halloween. If, if anyone comes at Halloween, sightings guaranteed. <laughs> um, we decorate the hall for Halloween, and Keith had been, we had some, you know, these kind of, are they called A4 step ladders? Step ladders. And Keith had been climbing up and hanging some, some decorations, and I was standing and holding the ladder in, in the medieval hall, which is part of the house that's haunted. And as Keith stepped off the ladder, the wretched thing started jumping up and down, didn't it? Shaking. Shaking. And we're both holding it. And at first, I thought it was Keith just having a joke with me. And I was, I was going, Stop it, Keith. And Keith went, Maggie, it isn't me. And we were looking at each other across the ladder, and I could see from his face that it wasn't him. And that he was getting a bit alarmed as well. And we couldn't stop it. We couldn't couldn't hold it still. We've got a friend who teaches physics at, in the, at the university. He was talking about maybe Newton's, you know, that equal and opposite reaction forces thing. But it was stronger than that. I don't know what it was, but that was scary. And also we've got stories from years and years ago, centuries ago, of the ghost, yes. of the white lady. There's always a white lady. Mm-hmm. The white lady at Crook Hall. Yeah. It's great. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> you are yeah. very welcome. I guess finally... Do you guys have a favourite place in the gardens or the hall that you would recommend? It's strange, really, because what we tend to do now is we we tend to sit in different places to really see what the experience is. So whilst we have had favourite places, we tend to move around. So if we're in the cafe at the entrance, we'll choose to sit on different tables. And the same in the gardens. And just thinking about the views that people would see there, we usually end up with a list of jobs that need to be done. (laughs) And for me, it depends on the season. This time of year, I like to be in front of the log fire in the Jacobean room. Uh In the spring... I like to be in that woodland area where we've got all those snowdrops on. I mm-hmm. it's still yeah. winter, isn't it, when the snowdrops are all there. Mm-hmm. It just depends. I've always mm-hmm. got different favourite mm-hmm. parts, yeah. yeah. Well, that, that's great advice, too, because now people can go and try to find their own favourite yeah. spots. And then once they have one, 
change it. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So how about you just give us your name and tell us about your job? Hello, my name's Anne Tullick and I'm head gardener here. I work along with John who's part-time and David who's was a volunteer and now we he comes two mornings a week and works with us. Uh, we work as a team to make the gardens look pretty. And uh, how do you do that? Oh well it's different seasons um, we have to evolve so now everybody's thinking of Christmas but I'm thinking of summer. I'm thinking of the seeds I'm going to order and when I want to set them away I have to think about beforehand because it creeps up here so fast. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're doing at the moment and what what we're busy doing, what I call putting the garden to bed. So each area, we cut all the flowers down, all the perennials, the herbaceous down, dig over, dig the weeds out and then we put a layer of manure on and then do the edges up nice and then we can't do any more, nothing else till the bulbs come through and then that's the next show. So you let a lot of the area lie uh, fallow for... Yes, yes, we just um, put the manure on so the frost comes down and it it improves the soil because it's all about your soil. Keep your soil right and your flowers will be... The flowers will do justice. Does the frost um, help the soil? Yes, it it, it breaks down everything and then then you just turn it in slightly in the the spring and when you go you've got better improvement of soil. So right now, we're at the darkest point of the year and we're about to enter really the coldest part of the year. Are there any plants in the garden that really thrive in this point or is it pretty much just allow everything to rest? We have a few winter shrubs that we've got left. Of course, you can still see structure. The pampas grass is still Mm -hmm. flowing nicely. But there's there's an odd shrub like viburnum, bodden and dawn, um, that's coming out now. It's a very sweetly scented flower and it's slightly pink. It's beautiful this time of year. So there is some shrubs that will take you, just twing you through. And of course, the hollies, the variegated hollies. In the summer, people walk past them. It's like a robin redbreast. You don't really notice them so much in the summer. But Christmas, they're prominent. So, so the hollies are, you know, the backbone of the garden as well. And of course, your grass, that frame, becomes a frame of your garden. Um, you know, where there's not a lot of flowers. So if you keep your grass looking nice, that's what you focus on as well. Of course, holly is probably the epitome of Christmas, isn't it? Exactly, yes, it is. Um, Keith was saying that a lot of the decorations for the hall actually come from the garden. The garden, yes, we cut down and uh, the Eliadnes stand there. I tend to leave them and don't prune them till this time of the year. You know, so even itching, you know, but this time of the year we prune down and it all comes into the the hall for the decorations. Mm -hmm. Would you have any advice for any listeners who have their own garden and how to best treat their garden during the winter? Yes. Everybody says to me now, well, what, what do you do this time of year in the garden? It's quite an important time. It's all the cutting back and trying to get your soil improved for next year. It's making all your edges nice and sharp and aerate your lawns so you know the, the worms can activity and so the, the drainage is better. You top dress your lawns so make sure everything's just ready so when the spring comes and your bulbs come through it's just all ready and that's where you become an armchair gardener where you get all your magazines out and your seed catalogues and you have a look ring all your wish lists off <laughs> and for the next year. Well I, I did ask Maggie and Keith one specific question that I feel like I should ask mm-hmm, you too. That's fine. What is your favourite part of the garden? Oh, you know, that's it's like choosing your favourite child, that. <laughs> <laughs> How can I say that? Um, I love the little 
a silver and white garden because when you go through them garden, that series of garden, you go from the cathedral garden down to the Shakespeare, into the orchard, then into the silver and white. It's like a microclimate. You know, you go into one, it's warm. And then you go into the Shakespeare, it's a little bit cooler. You go into the orchard, it's cooler. Then you go back into the silver and white garden and the heat just hits you again, mm-hmm. you know. So it's like walking through different temperatures mm-hmm. to get to it. And I just love the combo of the white and the silver when it's out. Playing with all the white from the, the white dim um, wallflowers and the snowdrops come through, the tulips, the hyacinths, white hyacinths, mm-hmm. and then you get the, the silver from the cineraria. I just like that convo, and it was for somebody's 25th wedding anniversary. So it's quite a romantic little garden as well, you know. One volunteer used to call it the love garden. Ah. <laughs> so I love that little maybe, garden. Maybe we'll come back for Valentine's Day. Yeah, see, yeah. Check out the love garden. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so it's, it's just a quaint little sun trap. But my mood changes as well. It's all just a combination of things, you mm-hmm. know. It's not just... Oh, isn't that a beautiful garden? It's a heartbeat in there. It's a beautiful sentiment. (laughs) Thank you. All right, so the ghosts of Christmas past, present and future really fit well into that story. Oh, I thank you. I tried. Good work. Thank you. And it was just a lovely experience to get to meet Maggie and Keith and Anne, the head gardener. They had so much to say. And I had been there a few times and didn't know any of this. And it was just a lovely way to connect to the place. So I would recommend, if anybody's even remotely interested, they give Crook Hall a visit. To learn more about Crook Hall and Gardens, visit their website at www.crookhallgardens.co.uk or visit them on Facebook. Chapter 2. Your Own Front Door My name is Kate Norris and my business is Northumbrian Flowers. I grow uh, British flowers in the heart of Northumberland on a small plot um, on the banks of the River Tyne, outside a small village called Walk-on-Tyne. I grow my flowers for brides who want to use locally grown, chemical-free flowers for their weddings. I do bouquets, a local bouquet service around the valley. I do natural funeral flowers where I don't use any floral foams or any plastic materials, and I provide flowers for florists. And during this time of year, you do something else, too, that everyone is coming to participate in this morning. Yes, I do uh, Christmas door wreath workshops, and I've been doing those for the last 10 years. And every Sunday in December, I'm found here in Blackfriars doing my special kind of Christmas door wreath workshop. And has it been a very popular kind of workshop to do? Yes, in particularly here. Uh, all day, all spaces were sold out by July. Huh, um, so, so any listeners, take note. If you want to do this next year, get on top of it. Yes, absolutely. We'll be confirming details, dates and times um, and content uh, uh, over the next couple of weeks and they'll be released by Blackfriars by mid-January. So besides taking the workshop, which of course everyone should do, yes. um, how would one get started on making their own Christmas wreath? The best way to start making your own Christmas wreath is to attend a workshop because everything is provided there for you. The moss ring, the wire or string and all the foliage and the decorations. That is so much easier doing it that way than trying to forage and find stuff yourself, especially if you uh, are urban living. If you're rural living, then hardly evergreen foliage is on your doorstep, but not so much the case if you're living in a block of flats. 
Um, and it's also a really nice event to do with a group of friends, colleagues from work, or if you're on your own, uh, it's, a gr- it's a great way just to come out and have an enjoyable three, four hours, especially here where you can make your wreath and then you have a delicious lunch in the restaurant afterwards. It's a really great way to just step into the Christmas spirit, isn't it? Absolutely. And what better way than to have your own handmade Christmas stories to then take home and hang on your door that you've made yourself. So the materials that you use in your workshop, are they also chemical-free, plastic-free, or do you have a mix of different things you like to use? We have a mix of different things for the Christmas door wreath workshop. The, the foliages are all naturally grown, and they are without doubt without any chemicals whatsoever. The moss is sustainably licensed harvested moss, and the copper wire frame that we use can actually be recycled at your local recycling depot or you can keep it and use again yourself for a spring door wreath, a summer door wreath, an autumn door wreath. You can buy your moss from your local garden centre and you can use flowers from the garden or flowers from your local independent florist and, and make your own spring, summer, autumn door wreath. I have to admit I got a little shiver when you said you could keep it and make a spring wreath or a summer wreath or an autumn wreath. Of course, you know, this being panacea and we do season to season stuff. That's a, I mean, do you do workshops for other seasons or is it just Christmas? No, yes I do. I do an Easter door wreath workshop. I do Easter bouquet tying so you can come to my workshop up in rural Northumberland and I'll use British flowers from from February onwards uh, the focus is about British flowers so if I don't have any flowers that I have I'll buy them from other growers from the UK and Scotland mostly from southern UK because the weather is slightly better and um, we use lots of lovely scented British flowers and foliages in our spring Easter door wreath workshops, um, our spring bouquet tying, and then we move into summer. So we do summer, so we call it our garden floristry and posy tying workshop. So I show people the flowers that they might have growing in their own gardens that they can use, and I show them how to construct a lovely bouquet, which they can then take those skills and use for when they're going to friends for dinner or they're going to visit a friend in hospital. They can just pick some flowers from their garden and they know how to put it together. And then it feels more personal, Yes, like a better gift almost. Oh, absolutely. Nothing beats being able to go and pick some flowers from your garden and put, making them into a nice arrangement, a nice posy, wrap it with some craft paper, tie it with string and take it to your friends. Absolutely. And this is also a very, clearly a very sustainable company. So you make a lot of effort to be environmentally friendly and I'm sure that appeals to a lot of people. Absolutely, there's there's no reason why not um, in, in this day that we cannot be more proactive at being more plastic free. You know, especially I think um, during a time like Christmas, <laughs> yes, um, where people tend to be buying more and using a lot more plastic and papers to wrap presents and things like that. Yes, yes, and I, I, I personally think Christmas presents wrapped with lovely, lovely plain brown craft paper and finished with a nice ribbon or some nice raffia is so much nicer or even a sprig of rosemary um, and sage or a piece of pine it just looks so much nicer than all this glitter and mm. glitz and let's let's not forget glitter is a really bad product to mm. get into landfill to get into the waterways 
those tiny little flecks of glittery. It's just plastic, isn't it? Yes, it's just plastic. There is a new bio glitter out that dissolves, which is really good, but it's going to be a long time before that's going to be Mm -hmm. so easily available than, you know, the test tubes of mass-produced plastic glitter that we see. I would even say that maybe steering towards more environmentally friendly is almost like a good Christmas present to the earth itself, isn't it? (laughs) Absolutely. When people buy my door wreaths, uh, they are delivered in a really sturdy uh, cardboard box. Now that cardboard box has been produced and made by a local manufacturer in Northumberland and then can be reused by yourself as a box to wrap Christmas presents in or to be used to send gifts on to somewhere else. So I like to think that all the products that I use can either be compostable, uh, reused or recycled and it's a it's a very important way to start looking at everything that we use in our everyday lives. Absolutely. Well that's absolutely fantastic. Thanks for chatting with us. Thank you. Um, I guess I, I guess I just have one more question. Um, what's your favorite bit to put on a wreath? The mixed foliages. Mixed foliage. Yeah. Scots pine, noble fir. Noble fir is what people commonly call blue spruce, and it's what you see in uh, florists, DIY shops, um, uh, supermarkets, where they're all selling Christmas door wreaths. Um, but yeah, noble fir, hemlock. I like using rosemary, sage. Time. And those have lovely scents, don't they? Yes, yes, yes. It's like with flowers. What is the point of using something if it doesn't have a scent mm-hmm. or um, a, a real nice aroma about it? And that's what I like most about my Christmas story, is using the different foliages. Great. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us and thank Merry you. Christmas. And to you too. So I think that story really captured the present and future parts of Christmas, you know, making things for this year, but also considering Christmas is out into the future. I think it's absolutely important to think about our future in general, especially over a time like Christmas. And it's becoming clearer and clearer that sustainability is the way forward. So if we can take a little bit of that into our own hands and improve our Christmas decorations in scent and in beauty and doing that ourselves, as well as in the effect it has on the environment, I am all for it. We actually got to see them set out all the stuff for the wreath making. Um, It looked a lot of fun. Definitely recommend it. But as she said, it sells out very quickly. So if you want to do it next Christmas, keep your eyes out now. To find out more about Kate and Northumbrian flowers, visit their website at www.northumbrianflowers.co.uk. Chapter 3. The Reason for the Season In our final section, we speak to my dear friend and all-around smart guy, Matt Richardson, an expert in religious studies. Together, we discuss how members of diverse communities approach the holiday season. So here's Matt. Matt, everybody! <laughs> Hello there. Hi. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Matt. So, my name is indeed Matt. Um, I'm 22. What's your last name, Matt? My, name, my last name is Richardson. Just for identity purposes, if you need to um, complain <laughs> about anything in this. <laughs> and, and what do you do, Matt Richardson? 
Oh, who knows these is. No, um, I'm doing my re- I'm doing my doctoral training at the University of Newcastle. I just finished my I'm in religious studies at Durham University, which is where I met the lovely host of this podcast, Sarah. So I'm a Baha'i. Um, my family are all Christian, and they have been for a few generations. Um, but I'm a Baha'i. Um, there's quite a big Baha'i and Persian population up here in the northeast. So. But because my family are Christianity, but I do all the Christian celebrations at Chris at Christmas. I say Christian. I suppose on a podcast you can't see my like annotation, like my quotation marks <laughs> I'm doing here for Christian. Celebrations. So just think air air quotes. Yeah, air quotes. So air quote Christian celebrations. So yeah, but now I do Baha'i Christmas as well, which is How I say that when I say that that is like massive air quotation marks. I no. should stop saying these things at the quotation marks. But the Baha'i equivalent of Christmas is called a Yamiha, which in Persian means it literally means too many days. And it's because when they made the Baha'i calendar, it didn't fit neatly into the Gregorian calendar. So each month is 19 days and there's 19 months. So you're left with about four or five days because it goes on the equinox, no ruse, which is a whole different thing. But it goes on the equinox. So we have like four or five days left over just before the fast. Um, and there's just... a fast, is it after Christmas, before Christmas, on the mm. solstice? So the Yamaha is usually something like the 25th of February mm. or the 26th. The fast will begin on the 1st or 2nd of March. It will always end on Norus, which will always be the 21st or the 22nd of March. So it falls more along the lines of Lentish? Yeah, kind of, okay. it coincides with Lent. So Yamaha is just four days where they were like, it doesn't fit into the calendar, so let's... <laughs> drink and have a good time? But not the drinking oh, part, okay. because that's, that's not necessarily... You know, I will celebrated in the. I I will say that in Judaism, all of the major holidays are entirely focused around getting sloshed. Well, it's really interesting being in Gateshead on Purim. Yes, because that's the yeah. part of the rule is you're supposed to get so drunk that you couldn't be able to tell the righteous man from the villain in the story. So Mordechai versus Haman, you wouldn't be okay. able to tell them apart. That is how yeah. plastered you need to be. What did you do for Hanukkah? Did you anything I sat next to my Christmas tree. <laughs> my Hanukkah bush. My Hanukkah bush. And, and lit my menorah, but I only had uh, one, the eight days worth of candles. So um, you can't really just get Hanukkah candles. In Durham, yeah. No, you can't. So I just had the, the last night um, and the whole oh, mall. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, like, how this is like a Christmas themed well, episode. Well, I, December themed episode. December. And, and that includes Hanukkah a little bit, right? Well, of course, yeah. And I think, but what I was going to say is like, I think it's interesting that we've kind of naturally segued into the, the like occasions and festivities that we do that could be parallel to what most people here would understand as Christmas, right? So mm-hmm. I suppose like you have a Christmas tree and you have your menorah and then we have something called a half-seen table, which you oh, do. That? It's very fun. You do it just before, no ruse. Um, and half-seen literally means seven S's. So seven... The, um, the half-seen table, it comes from Zoroastrianism, um, which is very embedded in Persian culture. And what is that, just for our listeners who may so, have no idea? It's okay. Um, Zoroastrianism is perhaps the oldest known monotheist religion that's continuous as well. And it started in Persia, probably specifically Afghanistan, then Iran, 
about 4,000 years ago. I won't, like, launch into, like, a full theological narrative. Yes, don't, don't give us your dissertation. I Just won't to... give you the dissertation. But essentially, that's what it is. And it was very heavily, very heavily influenced, early mm-hmm. Judaism and Christianity. So the three wise men were Zoroastrians. So if there's not another, if there's not, you know, an interfaith message this Christmas, yeah. it's that the wise men were Zoroastrian priests. Um, and we, we take a lot in Baha'ism from that faith. Because Baha'ism began in Persian culture. Um, so the half scene table is before no ruse, which is the vernal equinox, it literally means new day. You get a table and you put seven objects, which in Persian begin with S. So you definitely have a mirror. Okay. And you have grass. Okay. Like a grass plant. Right. You have um, spices. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll have a fish. In, so, yeah. A dead fish or a live fish in I a bowl? I always use a dead fish. So so you just leave the, the dead fish out I've to get like all stinky? Okay. Um, and then you have a candle, a holy book. So I'll have the hidden words out because that's a nice small one. So I don't have a very big half scene table. Um, and you'll have painted eggs. And how many have I counted? Seven. Seven. Anything that starts with this sound? No, it's specifically okay. those. I think there's like regional variations if you go somewhere like Armenia or Azerbaijan they'll have regional variations but that's generally I think what you have. Please don't fact check me on this because... <laughs> no fact checking yeah. Because a lot of this is quite, I mean it's quite difficult to get a hold of some of these things in the UK yeah. You know, Christmas mm. didn't originate as a Christian holiday and of course sure. people will say that to the end of time and it won't make a difference to a lot yeah. of people and it will still be always a Christmas with a capital C kind of mindset towards it. But I think very clearly, you know, from what you're telling me and from what I'm telling you, there are tons of different kinds of people who need this and want this holiday at the darkest time of the year where people want a little bit of light. They want Mm. the comfort of their family. They want the comfort of a big meal or um, the comfort of, I would say, ritual. There's something really... Comforting about it's like this is what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah, and even if it's, I I know I certainly do this. Like I just lit my candles on one night. Mm. You put whatever you can find on your <laughs> yeah. table. You know, if even that means a dead fish instead of a live fish, or or yeah. whatever the way you de- you deviate from the prescriptivist sure. idea. Um, yeah, people find even just interacting with that ritual just a little bit very comforting i think that's the point is that mm. everyone they need that right now because that's what gets them through yeah i think like what i'm really hoping for as well kind of like going from that is just to have my own like start my own christmas yeah traditions because i very much like winged it off the parentals so far and now to have me own christmas tree which they might pay for but now to have me own christmas tree and put it in like the flat that i live with which i live with my sister and for us to do like a Boxing Day dinner for all the family is quite nice. So that it's, you know, that kind of like leaving the nest. It feels just about the right time. Oh. I'm very excited. Well, congratulations. That's Thank you. beautiful. Nothing more emotional than like a uh. 22 year old bird leaving the nest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Oh. okay. I feel your pain. <laughs> Happy Christmas, listeners. Happy Christmas. Do you happy actually Hanukkah. say Happy Christmas in England? Happy Christmas. Yeah, because oh, in America we say Merry Christmas. I say, I say both in mm. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. 
You've been listening to Panacea, a podcast for the seasons. I'm your host, Sarah Rosen, and our producers, Owen John Lloyd-Jones. Thank you so much to all of our contributors this week. Keith and Maggie and Anne from Crook Hall and Gardens, Kate from Northumbrian Flowers, and Matt Richardson of Newcastle University. We hope you like what you've heard this week. Please subscribe and review. All of your feedback helps us to produce more content. This has been Panacea.